you got your Bibles this morning, if you would go to John chapter 11, we're going to read verses 38 through 44. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44 today. I'm sorry, we're not going backwards. And if you got it and you're ready, would you stand for the reading of God's Word today? John chapter 11. This is one of my all-time favorite stories of the Bible, one of my favorite miracles of Jesus. This is what it said, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that it would soak into every mind and heart, that it would help us, Lord, today grow in our faith and knowledge of you, and that we can trust in you for resurrection power in our lives. We love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. This is one of my, like I mentioned, all-time favorite miracles that Jesus did for a lot of reasons. There's, there's so much to be unpacked in this story. And before we get to the main miracle, uh, there are things that happened leading up to this miracle that I find very interesting in this story. Uh, first and foremost, uh, earlier in, in John chapter 11, uh, we see where Jesus gets this notification that Lazarus is very sick and very ill, and uh, they're very concerned about it. And Jesus' reply to them is, hey, don't worry about it. This sickness is not going to lead to death. In other words, he's going to live. He's going to be just fine. But 10 verses later, in verse 14, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, we got to get going because Lazarus has died. Jesus, in verse 4, says this sickness will not lead unto death, but then in verse 14 says he's dead. This was something that always baffled me. Like, Jesus, you said he wasn't going to die, and yet he died. Now, we get the luxury of being able to just continue reading, and we've been in church, we've been in Sunday school, we've heard this story before, we understand that there is a resurrection to come. So now when we read this story, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, they're worried about nothing because, uh, well, we know Jesus is going to resurrect them. Yeah, you know that, but they did not at that time. They had no idea what was going to happen. And something I found out in my life is that sometimes the miracle doesn't pan out like you think it should. And when God promises you something, the route to get to that promise doesn't look like the route you think it would be. For example, if I were to tell you, 
give me a math equation to get me the number four, most of you would say, well, two plus two. Two plus two is not four. It's a method to get to four. Because I could also say three plus one is four. I could also say 16 times two divided by eight is four. I could say eight times two divided by four is four. I think my math skills are not the greatest, but you get the idea that there are countless, countless ways. And that's just your simple arithmetic. I ain't even gotten into calculus yet because, well, I didn't do so well in calculus, so I'm not going to go down that road. But the point is, is there are numerous, countless methods to get the answer for. But we look at the route rather than the answer. We look at the equation instead of what God has promised. And when we're looking at it, like, wait a minute, this isn't the equation I would have used, so it must be the wrong equation. That, that's the reality of how these miracles and these promises of God play out is we look at the route and the plan and the, and the way God does it and we say, well, this is the wrong answer. This is the wrong answer. It, it reminds me of being in math class. They, they were so set on having you show your work in every equation that you did. You had to show your work. You had to show your work. And, and there, there were times where I would do the equation the wrong way and still get the answer. And I said, well, how is it the wrong way if I got the right answer? They said, I don't know. We don't know what you did, but you did, you did something wrong but still got the right answer. And that is how we view God's workings. Is when he shows us his work and he begins working in our lives, we'll start to evaluate the equation and we'll say, well, we got to the right answer, but everything else was wrong. How can it be wrong if it's the right answer? Are you with me this morning? See, God will promise us something, and when he starts putting the equation together and starts to, to write out the problem for us and, and get to the solution, we're like, wait a minute, you said the sickness would not lead unto death, but here we are, he's dead. How did we get to this point? I think a lot of times God has other plans in motion. I think a lot of times there are things that God is doing underneath the surface that we don't see that's still going to produce the right result, but it's just going to go about it in a way that we think is wrong. See, he will, he will lead us in all kinds of crazy ways to get us where he wants us to go. And I really believe with my whole heart it's because God is not just trying to get you to the answer number four. He's trying to get you four with some more. Sometimes there's some extra credit he wants to add on to this math assignment. Sometimes there are some things he wants to do in addition to just getting you that equation solved. He wants, I don't know why I'm on math today, I really don't. But, but there are sometimes there are other things he wants to do in your life, not just make sure that Lazarus does not die. Sometimes he's trying to show you something about himself. Uh, what I found out is when you read later on in this scripture, he eventually comes to the tomb, and, and, and first and foremost, he comes four days late, according to man's standards. He shows up four days late. 
And I believe one of the things he was trying to show them is that he is not bound by time because he is eternal. That the thing that your Lazarus is in your life, whatever that may be, that thing in your life that has been dead and for quite some time and has been hidden away in a tomb that you thought there was no hope for, that you thought there was no way it was ever going to turn around and work out for the good, that God says no matter how much time you thought you lost, no matter how much time you thought it was too late, He says, I can restore all things, including the years and the months and the decades lost. And he's trying to let us know today that no matter how late we think he might be, that he is never late because he is an on-time God. He's the one who set the parameters for time. He is the one that back when he created time, he set, he set the sun and the moon and the stars all in their place. And he says, let them change and maneuver to, to set forth the seasons, days, and years. He, he's the one who put time in its place. He has control over all time. But we look at something that we have seen as dead for the past decade, and we say, well, it's been dead and done and buried for 10 years. There's no hope of reconciliation. There's no hope of restoration. There's no hope of healing. There's no hope of resurrection in my life. And I, and you need to understand today that the devil is a liar. And if God said it's going to be resurrected, if God said this sickness will not lead unto death, it will not last. And there will be a resurrection. You see, we think that just because God doesn't do it in our timeline that it's not going to happen. One would think that when Jesus said the sickness will not lead unto death, that he would hurry up getting his, getting his donkey saddled up and ride on over there and just say, be healed and it would be done. But the reality of it is God doesn't always do it the way we want it done, and he doesn't always do it when we think it should be done. But yet he still does what he promised and it's still on time, even if it's four days late. You see, he, he wants to show us today that no matter what we've lost, what we're dealing with, maybe we've lost ourselves, maybe we have a lost family member that we're ready to give up on because it's been so long since they've stepped foot in a church. It's been so long, uh, uh, it's been such a long time of them suffering with their addiction, their disease, that, that we don't even know if they'll ever be healed of whatever disease they're suffering with. And God wants us to know today that it doesn't matter what the time has said, what, what the society and the world has said can be possible. He says, with me, all things are possible. I believe today that God is doing things under the surface. And one of the other things he's doing under the surface is he's giving a, a new revelation of who he is as God to these people. See, like, he's, like I said, he shows up to the tomb. He shows up four days late. He has this exchange in verses 23 through 26. He's talking, and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, he says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last days. And Jesus said to her, he says, you missed it. You missed it, Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked her an important question. Do you believe this? You see, he, they knew him as the healer. 
They had a very good understanding that he could heal. That's why they brought the problem to him in the first place that Lazarus was sick. They said, well, he's sick. Let's go to the healer. Let's go to the one who can touch him and make him well. We've seen him heal the blind. And there's even people questioning Jesus in this moment. That, that in a couple verses later, the, the, there's other people around Mary and Martha during this time while they were in mourning over him that questioned and said, isn't the one who can make the blind see able to make him well again? And they weren't talking about resurrecting him. They were saying, he could have healed him. Why didn't he? It was their question. If he can heal the blind, why couldn't he have healed this? Now he's dead because he didn't do what he had the power to do. And little did they know that he is the resurrection. He's not just a healer. He's not just the healer. You see, again, we look at our life situations and we see that they're dead and we'll say, God, why didn't you heal that relationship? Why didn't you heal that family member? Why didn't you deliver this person? You delivered the, 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 those who were possessed with demons and, and had other afflictions. You delivered them from this and you healed them from that. You, you let the blind to see, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear. You, why didn't you heal my situation? I, I am convinced that it is because oftentimes God allows it to go to the grave so that he can show you that he's not just a healer. You see, I think we get so stuck on one aspect of who God is. He's the deliverer because that's, how we, that's who he was when we met him. He delivered us from something. He's the savior because he saved us and that's who he was when we met him. He's the healer because when we met him, we knew him as the healer. But he's trying to deepen your relationship with him and show you that he's so much more than what you know him as. There is so much more of God to be discovered than eternity can even reveal. We see in the book of Revelation, that the Bible tells us that the angels gather around the throne. I believe it's in chapter 3. And it says they are crying out in the context of eternity. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Even in eternity, in the context of heaven where, where earth has gone away and now we're in, in the throne room of heaven, there is still more of God to be revealed. It is endless of who he is. It never stops. And so many times we get so hung up on God being the healer that when he doesn't heal, we think he's failed us or he's let us down. And sometimes the reality is he's just trying to reveal another side of him. He wants you to know him as the resurrector. So he'll allow something in your life to be dead so he can show you his resurrection power. Sometimes he'll let you hit rock bottom to show you that he's the provider. Sometimes he'll let you hit rock bottom as a way of grace and mercy unto you or to your loved one or whoever your Lazarus might be or what your Lazarus might be in your life. He'll allow it to get to that place so that you can encounter him in a new way. Because he doesn't want us walking around with this shallow understanding of who he is. He wants depth in our relationship with him. He desires us to know him in a deep, intimate way that we've never known him before, new and fresh every day. But again, the problem is, is we get so hung up on one part of who Christ is, and we miss out on the full picture of who he is. 
And in this moment, he's giving them this new, deeper revelation of who he is. He's letting them know. He says, yes, I'm the healer, but I need you to understand I'm so much more than that. You've seen those miracles. Don't get hung up on that reality. Because you need to understand I'm the resurrection and the life. He didn't say a resurrection and a life. He is the resurrection and the life. There is no other beside him. There is no other method other than him. There are things in life that will only ever give, get life and receive resurrection in him. There are things in life that we fight for. This ain't even in my notes, but I think it's for somebody. There are things in life that we are fighting for and working for and trying to achieve in our life, and, it, and it, it's not happening, it's not working, and the problem is it's not that it's not supposed to live, it's just that it's trying to be kept alive in the wrong way. And God's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says there are things, and he even goes on to tell Tell her, he says, even, even if somebody does die, he still lives. He says that in verse 25. He says, and everybody who, live, who lives and believes in me will never die. He's saying, through me there is eternal life. He's trying to reveal new things about himself to them in this moment. I want to I get to the main part of the miracle this morning, the, the, the actual resurrection, because we need to understand today that, yes, all of these things happen leading up to the resurrection, but in this moment where he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, there are some things that happen that had to happen in order for there to be a resurrection in life. You see, although Jesus is the resurrection and the life, there are still things we are required to do on our end to receive resurrection power. Jesus shows up at the tomb. The Bible says in verses 38 and 39, I'll refresh your memory this morning that we read at the beginning. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. The, the first thing we have to do to receive the resurrection power is move the stone away. There are things in our life that we allow to get between us and the miracle that are preventing the miracle. Could Jesus have moved the stone himself? Yes, he created the stone. Of course he can move it. But that wasn't the point. Jesus said, you by faith need to get some things out of, your, out of the way so I can speak into that cave, I can speak into that tomb and bring life out. Because the reality of it is, is if we live our life with things constantly blocking, Lazarus could have been alive in that cave, but he would have been trapped in the tomb. He could have been alive and yet still trapped. See, you could be alive and trapped by your doubts. You can be alive and trapped by your fear. You can be alive and be trapped by your pride. And Jesus says there might be a pulse, there might be a heartbeat, there might even be some movement inside of that tomb, but until you get the stone out of the way, it's pointless. It's completely pointless for me to try to resurrect something that's only going to remain in a dead place. 
You see, Martha's argument to Jesus was, he's been dead for four days. There's going to be an odor. I started, you know, looking into this whole process of mummification, if you will, this whole process of preparing the dead for burial. And one of the things they do is they didn't have embalming. They didn't have things like that back then. But what they did have is they had anointing oils and different things like that that they would cover the body up in and they would soak the the cloth in and they would wrap the body up to help cover the smell of death. And God spoke to me in my study about this and he says, Brandon, he says, one of the things we got to do to have a resurrection in our life is be willing to expose the dead thing. He says, just like they try to cover up death and the smell and the stench that comes with it, he goes, so many times my people do the same. They try to mask it. They try to hide it for as long as they can because they don't want to deal with that side of it. He says if people want to have a resurrection, they got to be willing to open up the tomb. they got to be willing to expose the dead thing in their life. In other words, I'm not going to heal and resurrect what you are trying to keep hidden. we got to be willing. I know this is hard. Nobody wants to do this. Can I just deal with this in private? And I'm not saying you got to come up here and admit all your mess and all your dead things to this church. I'm, what I'm saying is, is so many times we live in a state of denial about what's going on in our life. We refuse to accept the reality that we need the resurrection power of Christ. We say, I, no, I'm good. I I'm, I don't smell anything dead. Do you smell it? It's, that smells good in there. Those, those things smell great. But the fact that Martha said, well, it's been four days. He probably stinks by now. Let me know that you can only mask the odor of death for so long. Eventually, no matter what, it's going to come forward in some way, shape, or form. In the world today, there's all kinds of trends in society. One of those trends is dealing with generational trauma. Sometimes I think people enjoy being traumatized. I really do. But I think there is some truth to it. There are, there are people who walk, they want to be a victim. They want to be Lazarus. They want to, to be all wrapped up. They want that in their life because it gives them some kind of validation and attention that they didn't get somewhere else. But I think there is some truth to the idea of generational trauma, that things that were dead in your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents can get passed down from generation to generation. That you can inherit some of those dead things and they will expose themselves in an attitude They'll expose themselves in a way you do things in your life, in habits, in addictions. There are things that can get passed down in generations that they will expose themselves somehow. And there are things that will come out in your life that you didn't even know was a problem until Christ reveals that it was a problem to you. There's a whole world of people walking around dead themselves and carrying around stinky dead things with them that they don't even realize they're dead because they've been living in death for so long. They've gotten so accustomed to a grave. They've gotten accustomed to the smell. They've gotten accustomed to the bondage that has wrapped them up in that tomb, and they don't even realize it anymore. 
But God says, if you will let me, I will expose those things. I will bring them to light, not necessarily in a public way, but the reality is that the longer we try to hide it, the more likely it is to come out in a public way. It'll come out in traffic. It'll come out in the kitchen. It'll come out in all kinds of places that you didn't expect it to come out and expose itself. And God says, let me expose it. Let's work together on this so that way we can do it in a way that leads to life and resurrection, not more death and destruction. But we have to be willing to let God expose the dead things in our life. If we don't let them be exposed, they can't be resurrected. The third thing, I've got five total. The third thing is after he called to Lazarus, Lazarus got up and he walked out of the grave. So you have to leave the grave. You can get all the doubt out. You can have everything exposed, but sometimes we are so comfortable where we've been for so long that stepping out of there, out of that darkness that we've called home, gets to be uncomfortable. And we don't want to go too far because we want to have something to fall back on. We want to have a place to run and hide when when the outside world gets to be a little too much. We want the comfort of our grave because we got so used to living in it for so long. But you will never be able to sustain life in a place designed for death. Graves are not places where things grow. They are places where death thrives. In fact, the only things that live in those environments are things that feast on death. I don't want to get gross with you this morning, but there are creatures and there are insects that their thriving time is to feast on dead bodies, animal or otherwise. I say that to say the only thing that will survive in a place of death is things that love death. And it attracts other things that love death. So don't think you can live in a place designed for death and experience life. Sometimes you got to step out of where you've been and you've got to leave some things behind to move on and experience the life that God has to offer for you. The fourth thing is not only do you have to leave the grave, you have to take the grave clothes off. Here's the thing is you can leave the place, you can leave the, the other thing, but sometimes we, we like to take a souvenir with us. See, there, you may not live in the same area. You could move to a whole other town to start your life over, but there are still things that are on you that if you don't deal with will kill you again. You see, the Bible said that there was cloth wrapped around Lazarus's face. With how tightly, again, I studied some of this stuff this week, They wrap that stuff on there tight. If they would not have taken that off of him, he would have suffocated and just been put right back in that tomb. See, there are things that we try to carry with us. We we still wear some of the cloth. We still have those things wrapped around us. And not only are we bound in a way that restrains our movement to where we still are bound, his hands and feet were still tied up. He couldn't really move right. He was still caught in some of the bondage that came with death. 
and he, he was trying to move and live, but until those grave clothes come off, not only are you bound, but you are at risk for falling right back into the grave again. It's not just enough to leave the grave. You've got to leave the things that came with the grave in the grave as well. There are things in our life, and see, we don't like talking about this because we really don't want to deal with this kind of stuff. We'd rather just bury it. The problem is, is if you bury it, you bury you with it. Because as long as those grave clothes are attached to you, if you're going to bury the grave clothes, you've got to bury yourself. But once you get those bondages off of you, once you get those things released off of you, once you get yourself, I mean, you might be alive and well, and you might be ready to walk free from addiction, but the problem is, is you're still in a world where it's everywhere. Where if you have alcoholism in your life, it's easy to get alcohol. It's easy. It's easy to fall into lust. It's easy to fall into to, to lying. It's easy to fall into gossip. It's easy because those grave clothes can still be on you, which means that temptation is still there. The Bible says that God will give us a new garment of praise. He will give us a spirit of joy for mourning. He, he will change what we wear. He will put on a new garment for us. So that way we don't have to walk around in the garment of death, but we can walk around in a garment of life. But we have to get these clothes, these grave clothes off of us, or else we're just going to find ourselves back in the grave. And finally, number five, in order to experience resurrection, life, and power in your life, no matter what it is, you have to understand that you cannot do it alone. Lazarus couldn't take the clothes off of himself. He was so wrapped up in the, in the cloth, his hands were bound, his feet were bound. It's really hard to remove your own bondage. You, you, you need some people to help you with that. You say, well, God will help me too. God's got, yes, God will help you. But there's a reason why Jesus didn't go do it himself. It's because he was trying to send a message to the people that one of the things you got to do is you got to help your brother or sister in Christ get free. Sometimes you need more than just your prayers. I'm, prayer's powerful. God will answer it. God will speak to the tomb and resurrect Lazarus, but sometimes he says, I need to call on some people to take their role as a brother or sister in Christ and help somebody get out of their bondage. And too many times, the reason we can't get the, the grave clothes off of us is because we try so hard to just, we don't want to let somebody else know that we're wearing them, even though everybody can see it. We, we don't want somebody else to get involved in our situation because we don't want somebody else to know our business that we will allow ourselves to just stay bound because we don't want to admit, I need help. It's got real quiet in here today. There are things in life that you just cannot do alone. You need a community of people. And it may not be everybody needs to get their hands all up in your business. Be wise about who you confide in. 
and everybody else be mature enough to keep your mouth shut when somebody's confiding in you. If somebody tells you something, it wasn't for you to go tell everybody else. If they wanted other people to know their business, they would tell other people their business. I've never confided in one of my friends and said, and with the intention of them telling everybody something I was dealing with. That has never been the case. So there's two sides of this coin. You need to be willing to share what you're going through with somebody and let them help you and pray for you and walk with you. You need an accountability partner in some circumstances. You need a prayer partner in some circumstances. You need a counselor in some circumstances. But you also need to be wise and have the wisdom to pick good people for those roles in your life. And if you are picked for that role in somebody's life, you need to understand that they are trusting you deeply, and you need to honor that. God really laid this word on my heart for us today because I, th- I think we just live in a world where we're always experiencing challenges and, and issues and sin even, people falling back into sin or falling into sin for the first time. And the other reality is, is we just live in a world where there's dead people walking everywhere. We, we don't need to watch a zombie movie to see zombies. If you just go to Walmart, you'll see some zombies. I'm talking about spiritual zombies. I'm not talking about flesh-eating zombies. I'm saying we live in a world that needs resurrection, life, and power. But we cannot resurrect and we cannot bring life to others if we ourselves have not been resurrected. Just like you... You cannot sustain life in a grave because a grave is designed for death and dead things can't produce life. Neither can we. If we are dead in our own life, neither can we produce life and help others. It starts with us experiencing the resurrection life. And if we can experience it in our life, no matter what circumstance you may be walking through, there is nothing that God cannot resurrect The question is, are you willing to do the things necessary to experience resurrection power? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?